Hi there, this is Marie T. Russell. Welcome to the Inner Self audio version of this week's Inner Self newsletter. While the beginning of the year is behind us, each day brings us a new opportunity to start again or to continue along our new journey. Every action and every thought leads us to the next thought and the next event in our life. Each breath brings us a new chance to change direction or readjust our focus. So this week, we bring you articles to support you on your continuation of the new chapter of your story, Chapter 2021, that began on January 1st. We begin our featured articles with Alan Cohen, who asks us, Who will you be this year? He invites us to reflect not so much on what we will do or where we will be, but more on who we will be. Sarah Varkas continues our introspective journey in We Are What Lies Beneath, Mercury Retrograde and the I Am. She encourages us to ask the big question, Who am I? Sarah uses the backdrop of astrology and the current Mercury retrograde to showcase the energies that are supporting us at this time in our self-discovery. Will Wilkinson takes us on a meditative and empowering journey in Advancing the Human Experiment, G-O-D Activation. He proposes replacing the loaded term God with an acronym for Gratitude over Desire, G-O-D. The article is also accompanied with a guided meditation to activate our G-O-D awareness. As we all know and probably have experienced, we encounter challenges and even roadblocks on our life's journey. The good news is that we have within us the very tools and ability to dissolve those situations. Jacques Martel introduces us to how we can heal the conflicted feelings, emotions, and thoughts at the root of illness. This process doesn't require any expensive medication, equipment, or even surgery. The only surgery is the one we perform ourselves by discovering the root of our ailments and diseases and the words and thoughts we can use to neutralize the problem. Now, of course, there are times, probably more than we like, where we just don't seem to know what path to take, which direction to go, and what is our next step. Alan Seal brings us a very simple process in What Wants to Happen? The Five Questions of the Deep Simple. We conclude our weekly journey with a very practical tool to benefit not only our own selves, but also our loved ones. Wayne B. Titus III introduces us to the best resolution for 2021. Create a financial scrapbook for your loved ones. As the year continues, we will be able to fine-tune our direction and our attitudes so that we discover new insights and new possibilities. After all, the show must go on, but since we direct our own show, we can change the script as we go along as we discover the loving truth behind who am I, and we come to realize that the path, which we always thought was comprised of many paths, was always just one path, the path of unity and oneness. Please stay tuned for the featured articles of this week read by Mariti Russell. be this year. Written by Alan Cohen. As we set out on the great adventure called 2021, many of us have lots of questions about what the year will bring. When will the pandemic end? Will I be able to return to my job or will I have to reinvent myself? 
Will the kids be able to get out of the house? Will I be able to go to a concert, travel, or visit my relatives? Can I hug people I love, or will everyone important to me be relegated to a little square image on my computer screen? Yet, behind all of these questions is one that will more fundamentally determine our experience. Who will I be in the year to come? Who am I? A webinar participant told me, I was in Manhattan at the time of the 9-11 attack. After that incident, I called myself a 911 victim. After a few years, I got tired of defining myself as a victim, so I called myself a 911 survivor. That eventually felt too heavy for me, so now I call myself a 911 witness. Where do I go from here? Now you become a 911 student, I told her. Then you will graduate to become a 911 master. After the webinar, I told my partner, Dee, about the participant's progression up the ladder of identity. Dee replied, After she's done being a 911 master, she will ask, What's 911? When you grow out of a limiting self-definition, you leave it behind like a snake sheds its skin and moves on to new territory. Identity is not a fixed definition laid upon us by some external source. It is a version of reality we experience according to the vision we are using. If you feel limited by a painful identity, you can make a conscious choice to accept a more empowered self. Who is that person, really? The best demonstration of experience by identity is multiple personality disorder more currently known as dissociative identity disorder. Some people with this disorder display physical diseases in one personality, but no trace of the ailment in another personality. One personality could be severely allergic to citrus and break out in hives when eating an orange, while another personality could eat a basket of oranges with no side effects. One personality could be diabetic, and require regular insulin injections, while in a disease-free personality, the individual would be killed by the same insulin dose. One personality could show a cancer that is entirely absent in another personality. You might ask, who is that person really? The answer is, whoever they identify with in a given moment. Ultimately, we are far more than any personality we claim. We are spiritual beings created in wholeness and perfection. Any identity we claim less than divine does not befit us. The spiritual path is one of ascending the ladder of identity, moving from denser and more painful identities to lighter and freer ones, until we discover there was never any ladder at all. Even while we moved through various imagined versions of ourselves, we remain as God created us. Who are we? Moving into 2021, we may be tempted to define ourselves as COVID victims, survivors, or observers. To the worldly mind, those identities may seem the only alternatives, but there are more. We could just as easily see us as COVID students or COVID masters, empowered by the spiritual lessons we have learned, and passing them on to others for their benefit. We can also rise entirely beyond COVID and choose an identity that has nothing to do with it. Abraham Hicks said, When a disease is diagnosed, the patient usually experiences an exacerbation of the symptoms. This is because the patient assumes the identity of someone with that disease. We can make the principle work in our favor and reverse the result. When we refuse to identify ourselves with a particular disease or limiting situation, the symptoms of that disease or situation tend to disappear. Jesus said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. Mansions means many rooms or realms of consciousness. Even as you hear these words, 
there are many different realities that human beings are experiencing. Some are horrible, and some are ecstatic. We each walk in the atmosphere of our own believing. Many people are glad to put 2020 behind us. It was a challenging year for most people. Who do we choose to be? What if we chose to really put it behind us by not identifying with the symptoms blared on the news, but identifying with who God created us to be? What if we chose to leave old COVID ideas behind and make space for a new and brighter version of who we are? When we hold steadfast to our true self, we are in the most empowered position to be healed and to heal, to be blessed and to bless. Healing is an identity shift from the body to spirit, from limitation to freedom, from fear to love. What seemed to happen does not have to have anything to do with what is happening or what will happen. It takes courage to accept and express our divinity. Finding and living that courage could be the greatest gift we bring to 2021. This article was written by Alan Cohen, the author of numerous books, including The Master Keys of Healing. We are what lies beneath. Mercury retrograde and the I am. Written by Sarah Vargas. Mercury will be retrograde in Aquarius from 3.46 p.m. UT, or Universal Time, on the 30th of January 2021 until the 21st of February 2021. With Black Moon Lilith conjunct Eris at the time of its retrograde station, this Mercury pulls no punches and takes no prisoners. Nor would we want to be held captive, for its promise is freedom from the chains secured by our own deceptions. This is not about intricate scams or long cons that flatter to deceive, but the everyday twists and turns we perform to avoid coming face to face with who we truly are. The moon, isolated in Virgo, as Mercury turns about face, speaks of the need for careful discernment when it comes to self-evaluation and definition. Identity is a tricky thing. Both the facilitator of our journey through this world and a catalyst of conflict and division, it takes great skill to manage its sharp edges with wisdom and grace. We are not our labels. How much we emotionally invest in the person we perceive ourselves to be dictates how well we can embrace the parts of ourselves that don't fit that image. If we see ourselves as compassionate, we may ignore our lack of concern for another's pain. If we see ourselves as spiritual, we may sidestep our more mundane or plain old human characteristics. If we see ourselves as uniquely different, we may struggle to recognize our commonality with others. This Mercury invites us to look at the labels we choose for ourselves and why they mean so much. Whether spiritual, political, religious, or otherwise, we all have them. They can be useful to identify allegiance in a complex world, but to the extent that they're invested with weighty significance, they can also become the very chains that steal our freedom. During these three weeks, we can be label-free for a while and see how that feels. What's it like to fade into the background, invisible? How does it feel to drop our own name, our own history, to relinquish the stories we tell ourselves about who and what we are? Does it mean we become a nobody? 
And does this render life empty of meaning? Or do we discover a deeper, more abiding truth about who we really are? This experience of a deeper self, untouched by the slings and arrows of everyday life, is crucial as we approach the first of Saturn's three squares to Uranus this year, on February 17th. The future hangs in the balance, and there are decisions to be made. Do we maintain the status quo or lay foundations for a new way of being? Do we choose love over fear or fear over love? Do we embrace the unknown or flee from its clutches, no matter how suffocating the known has become? Do we walk our talk or sidestep the responsibility that being alive in these extraordinary times affords? Most people have been traumatized to some extent over the past year. At times, the collective shock has been more than palpable, reverberating through the unified field that connects us all. Fear, despair, frustration, grief, anger, all have been prominent as we've navigated circumstances never encountered before. Such circumstances polarize people. We run for cover, or stand frozen like a rabbit in the headlights. Everyday life is turned on its head, expectations cast to the wind, plans lie in ruins. We seek safe ground to share with others and cast suspicion on those who choose a different rock. Identities are born, from which conflict arises. Division ensues, which weakens us all. Revealing the I Am we're at a critical point right now. What happens this year is central to how this decade unfolds. We're all building foundations for the future. To do so well, we must know our own foundation first. Not who we think we are or choose to be, but who we are beneath that, the self which knows all things as one, for whom identity is simply a distraction. This retrograde passage of Mercury blows apart the I am this, that, or the other to reveal the I am, which, without fuss or fanfare, rests beneath it all. From this place, we can make prudent decisions and discern the wisest action. It exhorts us to release our most cherished identities, even for just a moment, to become what lies beneath. The more energy we invest in notions of, I am this type of person living this kind of life, the more we'll trip over our own identity in the coming weeks. Not because we're not who we think we are, but because we're so much more than any label allows us to be. The radiant, universal heart is neither augmented nor diminished by ego identity. It simply cannot be defined in terms that satisfy the mind, so remains outside of our awareness while we perpetuate identities which do. But when Mercury is retrograde in Aquarius, we can relinquish the need to be someone and bathe in the sacred field that connects us all. When life subsequently demands that we pick up that identity again, as it inevitably will, we can do so with less emotional investment, less energetic striving, less insistence, secure in the knowing that all self-perception is a pale reflection of the vastness of our essence. From this cooler place, clarity arises, wisdom flows. There's nothing we cannot know. Time to unplug. If you've been feeling overwhelmed or overwrought recently, this is a good time to unplug, switch off, and return to base. In this technological age where everything happens at the press of a key or the swipe of a screen, information overload is rife and insidious screen addiction everywhere. Use these three weeks to discern how much technology is enough and where to draw the line. Just because ever more of life is being forced into an online space doesn't mean we must comply. We can still stare out of a window, read a good old-fashioned book, write a letter with pen and paper, 
draw, sing, pray, dance, walk, run, do yoga, tai chi, karate. Mercury retrograde in Aquarius returns us to ourself, to discover what and who we really are, aside from everything the world tells us we should be. Notice who gets your attention these days. How do you respond emotionally and physically to events in the online spaces you occupy? Do your interactions bring you peace, wisdom, and clarity? Or do they trigger painful emotion, stress reactions, and that naggingly seductive compulsion to engage in something that trades peace for a conflict of opinion? This is how we change the world. If we step back, regroup, and reflect in this way, we can be clearer and wiser once this Mercury retrograde is over, rooted in the boundless self from which truth and authenticity flow. We can still take a stand, say our peace, honor our inner knowing and outer commitments, but we can do so from a place of clarity, seeing beyond the little me to the unified field that connects us all. To know this field intimately is vital now, for the dynamics of this year, while intensely creative, are challenging in their potential. Much hangs in the balance, and dissembling into warring factions of opinion won't help many now. But a global community of people grounded in truth, drawing on timeless wisdom and honoring the unified field from which we all emerge? Imagine how that could change the world. This article was written by Sarah Varkas. Sarah is an intuitive astrologer with a passion for applying planetary messages to the ups and downs of everyday life. Advancing the Human Experiment, Activation G.O.D., written by Will Wilkinson. We are spirits downloaded into bodies, programmed to become creators. God is a loaded word. Can we use it without stirring controversy? I've turned it into an acronym, G.O.D. This seems to help. G-O-D stands for Gratitude Over Desire. Here's what this means. As spirits downloaded into bodies, programmed to become creators, our forever challenge is to remember who we are and navigate the human world without going mad. It helps to remember that the human world itself is a madhouse, populated by amnesiacs wandering around aimlessly in search of happiness and meaning. Some of us just dive wholeheartedly into civilization, having families and careers, enjoying what we can, struggling to overcome our challenges, and generally avoiding those deeper questions. But I doubt that's you. You wouldn't still be reading. Others of us retreat from the world. We meditate. We stick to a circle of like-minded friends. We do our best to resist the alluring temptations of Maya. And we judge secretly or overtly, those manipulators running the planet for their own pleasure. There's another path, gratitude over desire, or G-O-D. It starts with prioritizing gratitude. What are we grateful for? We are grateful for what we have already received, primarily the gift of life. So, we learn to live in gratitude for that, without needing anything further, although there's always something showing up to be grateful for. About desire. Desire is a problem for the puritanical amongst us. As the joke goes, sex is dangerous because it might lead to dancing. For those steeped in religion as duty, pleasure is a seductive danger, always tugging us away from God. 
This sets up a constant battle between desire and duty. I want to do this, but I know I should do this. G-O-D offers a formula to disrupt this conflict. All that's required is to always ensure that we have more gratitude than desire. Example, and I'll use a familiar crude one. A businessman is working late with his assistant. To unwind, they have a drink. This leads to a hug, which lasts longer than usual. And he's got a wife and kids. She's got a husband and kids. But in that moment, desire inflames and suddenly they find themselves on the precipice of catastrophic pleasure. And the only two options seem to be, one, give in and enjoy. Or two, resist and lose out. G-O-D is the other path. All they need to do is to remember what they already have, loving spouses and dear children, and consciously summon gratitude for those blessings. They could also allow themselves to feel love as gratitude for each other. What happens? Gratitude becomes bigger than desire. G-O-D, gratitude over desire. But here's the cool feature of this formula in action. The desire doesn't go away. It just takes the right position. That is, it doesn't eclipse common sense and sabotage loyalties. It's possible to share desire, to feel intimacy, without compromising a primary relationship. That hug can be genuinely loving without initiating a shedding of clothes. After all, what's wrong with loving each other? Nothing. As long as we choose appropriate ways to express that love. Cheating on a spouse is a violation of our marriage vows. Many people have suffered the repercussions of this failing. But being grateful creates a miracle, enjoying without destroying. That's just one example. I encourage you to begin practicing this G-O-D process in any situation where desire becomes a potential threat. Another drink, more chocolate, exaggerating profits on a balance sheet, misrepresenting an opportunity, etc. And experience firsthand how natural it is to enjoy life fully without compromise or deception. G-O-D Activation Presented by Will Wilkinson Relax into this moment. Breathe deeply in and out. Letting go of any tension you may notice in your neck and shoulders. In your arms in your chest, your abdomen, your back, your legs, and your feet. Flex your fingers several times and close your eyes for a moment. Breathe one more time, deeply in. Hold and out. Hold and relax. Place your right hand on your chest and feel your heart beating. Imagine the blood flowing through your amazing circulatory system. Your last meal being digested your fingernails growing. And now expand your awareness to consider the wide world we live in. Picture a mountain stream with clear water cascading down the hillside. Remember the tides from a time when you stood on the seashore. Remember clouds on a summer day floating across the sun. And now, 
a sunrise, a sunset, watching and realizing that it's the earth that's moving, moving in space. Remember the moon, watching it track across the sky, and the stars sparkling in the heavens. Contemplate the vastness of creation within you and around you, and know that this is all God. God is not an old man with a beard. God is not a belief. God is the intelligence behind all of creation. Feel yourself part of this creation and part of the Creator. Invite the feeling of gratitude to well up within you. As you feel this gratitude, make a commitment to install this emotion as your primary attitude, the one that will encompass the entirety of your life. Speak this spell to download heavenly software. I am grateful. Pause to feel this, knowing it as the deep truth. Beyond logic, beyond reason, in this moment you are experiencing the truth of who you are, a spiritual being in a human body, connected to all of life through the primary emotion that permeates creation, gratitude. Finally, recall a moment of pleasure. Feel the memory differently from within this ocean of gratitude you are swimming in. And speak the spell to install this upgrade. I am here to enjoy life. Pause a moment and repeat these words as often as necessary to begin feeling the truth of them without reservation. I am grateful and I am here to enjoy life. You've just turned God into G-O-D and activated a formula for maintaining your spiritual center and enjoying your human life. Can we heal the conflicted feelings, emotions, and thoughts at the root of illness? Written by Jacques Martel Health has always been a matter of great concern to me. In fact, from an early age, I began to experience health problems without having any exact notion of what had caused them. My mother was faced with difficult situations that, over many years, required care in the form of operations, various treatments, and even years of hospitalization. In my own case, since nobody seemed able to find out exactly what my illness was, a doubt appeared to constantly hover over the whole issue. I believe that these illnesses could be psychological. I then said to myself, either it's in my head or else there must be some reason for what's happening. I decided to go with the second choice, and that is where I began to explore whatever was causing me to experience all those ailments. 
A relation between emotions, thoughts, and illnesses? In 1978, I began to work in the health field in food supplements. That's when I began to realize by myself, during the individual consultations I was giving and through my other observations, that there could exist a relation between emotions, thoughts, and illnesses. I had begun intuitively to discover the link that existed between certain emotions and certain illnesses. It was in 1988, while registering for some personal growth courses, that I was put in contact with what is described today as the metaphysical approach to ailments and diseases. I can still see myself, together with others at that time, perusing the compilation of ailments and diseases that Louise Hay had set out in her book. I also observed people who were beginning their own investigations of themselves or of others in order to verify the validity of her assertions, all passionate about discovering new avenues of research in order to gain a better understanding of what they were experiencing. From that moment on, my interest in this approach never stopped growing, all the more so that I was reorienting my work to engage in the more specific field of personal growth. Since that day, I have never ceased verifying through my individual consultations and the courses I teach or the workshops I lead, the relevance of these data on ailments and diseases. Even today, I still find myself whether in a grocery store or when I go to make photocopies, asking people questions about what they are experiencing in relation to their ailments or diseases. Decoding Ailments and Diseases I still see these people looking at me with a surprised or questioning expression, wondering if I'm a clairvoyant or an extraterrestrial to know such things about their personal lives without them having told me anything about themselves. In fact, the answer is simple. When one knows how to decode ailments and diseases and also knows to which emotions or thoughts these are related, it is then easy to tell a person what she or he is experiencing. I then tell these people that it's simply my knowledge of the functioning of human beings and my knowledge of the links between thoughts, emotions, and illnesses that enable me to give them this information. In a sense, I explain to them that all the relevant data could be entered in a computer database and that one could then give the computer the symptoms of their ailment or disease, or simply name it, and the computer could then output the information on what one is experiencing in one's personal life, consciously or not. So it's not a matter of clairvoyance, but clearly a matter of knowledge. Today, with my accumulated experience and knowledge, I can state that it is impossible for someone to suffer from diabetes without feeling a deep sadness or aversion towards a situation that the person has experienced. For me, it is impossible for a person to suffer from arthritis without experiencing self-criticism or dissatisfaction with someone else or with certain situations in that person's life. For me, it is impossible for someone to experience liver problems without feeling anger and frustration towards oneself or towards others, and so on. High psychological stress will be converted to biological stress. I have occasionally received the following comment. When you decode ailments and diseases, you fix things to make them fit. Then I am told that everybody experiences anger, frustration, sorrow, rejection, etc. My response to this is that everyone does not react to a given condition in the same manner. For instance, Take the fact that I grew up in a family of 12 children with a father who was an alcoholic and a mother who was depressive. My brothers and sisters will have had the same parents as I, but each child, including myself, will be affected or not, or affected differently, because of their different interpretations of their respective experiences with those same parents. Why? 
because we're all different and we must all become consciously aware of various issues in our personal development. Thus, a manifestation of rejection can set off an illness in one person, but not in someone else. All depends on how I feel myself being affected, consciously or unconsciously. If my psychological stress is sufficiently high, it will be converted into biological stress in the form of an illness. During a workshop I was giving on the metaphysical approach to ailments and diseases in the context of an exhibition on natural health and alternative therapies, the ailments and diseases that were submitted for discussion were decoded quickly and accurately enough to my great satisfaction. Sometimes later, a friend who was in the audience during this workshop told me, Jacques, you should be more careful when you give your answers directly and quickly to respond to people's questions. Some people around me got the impression that the workshop had been artfully contrived with accomplices to create the impression of a perfect fit. Of course, nothing of the sort had transpired. What is important to understand here is that first, the person who is concerned by the ailment or disease being discussed knows that the stated answer is true for her or his own case, which may not appear quite so obvious to the other people present who are not personally so concerned. Secondly, what is new and still freshly revealed for our conscious awareness can appear to be unreal. Denying this reality can also be a means of self-protection to avoid feeling responsible for what is happening to oneself. Remaining open to new ideas. Here is an anecdote illustrating this observation. The famous inventor, Thomas Edison, met the members of the U.S. Congress to formally present his newest invention, the phonograph, a speaking machine. It is reported that when he demonstrated the machine in actual operation, certain members of Congress called him an imposter, saying that there had to be some subterfuge afoot because, for them, it was simply impossible for the human voice to issue forth out of a box. Times have truly changed. That is why it is important to remain open to new ideas that may provide innovative answers to many problems. Many people in the United States and in Europe have developed this approach about the link that exists between conflicted emotions and thoughts and physical illnesses, which helps in making this whole field of investigation better known not only here in Quebec, Canada, but also more widely throughout the world. I often say during my conferences that I have very strong mental powers, but also have very strong intuitive powers, and that the greatest challenge in my life has been, and still is, to reconcile those two powers. The Law of Cause and Effect My academic training as an electrical engineer has helped me to work through the logical and rational side of things. Physics has taught me that a cause is always linked to a very real effect. It was this law of cause and effect that I was later able to apply to the domain of emotions and thoughts, although these are less tangible than physical reality itself. But is this truly the case? Even in a subfield of physics, such as electricity, we are working with something that no human being has ever actually seen, electricity. For in fact, we are working with effects such as light, heat, electromagnetic induction, and so on. Similarly, thoughts and emotions are not necessarily physical in the proper sense of the term, but they can have physical repercussions in the form of ailments and diseases. Something that is non-visible, such as thoughts and emotions, can induce a reaction that is physical and measurable, very often in the form of ailments and diseases. Can I measure anger? No, but I can take the measure of my fever when that symptom affects me. Can I measure the fact that I often get the impression of having to struggle in life to get what I want? No, 
but I can measure the diminishing number of red globules in my blood when I present anemia? Can I measure the fact that not enough joy is permeating my life? No, but I can measure my excessive level of blood cholesterol, and so on. Then, if I become aware of the thoughts and emotions that have brought about the onset of an ailment or a disease, could it be that by changing these thoughts and emotions, I could recover my health? I dare say, yes. However, the links involved can be in fact more complex and deeper, involving more than just those facets of which I happen to be consciously aware. That is why I may need to call upon people working in the medical field or people using other professional approaches to help me in achieving the necessary changes in my life. If I must undergo a surgical operation while understanding, at the same time, whatever has led me to experience such a situation, it's quite likely that I'll recover from my operation much more quickly than another person having the same operation, but who doesn't want to know what was going on in his or her life, or who is simply unaware of it. Furthermore, if I have not understood the message conveyed by my disease, then the operation or treatment may seem to make the disease disappear, but the illness may shift later on to some other part of my body in a different form. It is to be hoped that more and more businesses will become aware of the solid reasons for helping their employees in their personal development on the emotional level. This will make it possible to diminish the number of accidents in the company and the rate of absenteeism and will increase each individual's effectiveness. If my personal, family, and occupational life is such that I don't feel right within myself, I'll become more likely to attract, albeit unconsciously, a disease or an accident as a means for taking some leave or for getting other people to take care of me. Taking care of ourselves with awareness. Over the past century, and more especially in the past 50 years, we have experienced an extraordinary leap with respect to our technology, which has made it possible in many cases, to improve our living conditions. Despite all this progress, we do not realize very well that science does not hold answers for everything and that there exists on this planet many men and women suffering from illnesses. Whether we live in industrialized countries or in developing countries, we must take care of ourselves and we must face these questions. Who am I? Where am I going? What is my goal in life? This article was excerpted from the introduction of the book, The Encyclopedia of Ailments and Diseases, How to Heal the Conflicted Feelings, Emotions, and Thoughts at the Root of Illness, written by Jacques Martel. What Wants to Happen? The Five Questions of the Deep Simple Written by Alan Seal To the intuitive mind, complexity is not a mystery, nor is it overwhelming. It's just a different reality that requires a different set of skills and capacities. The skills and capacities that come from whole mind thinking and whole being awareness. The key is to stay in receptive mode rather than fall back into output or figure-it-out mode. Start by asking, what is trying to get my attention right now? What is this situation trying to tell me or show me? What potential is trying to emerge? What wants to happen? The Deep Simple
I designed this tool or framework for those times when the situation or circumstance is so complex that you have no idea where to begin. The Deep Simple is a series of five powerful questions that can help you cut through the confusion and find a next step. The questions are 1. What are three things that you know to be true with this circumstance or situation? 2. Which of those things holds the most power to explore right now? 3. With that thing that holds the most power, what wants to shift? What is the breakthrough waiting to happen or the potential waiting to emerge? 4. Who is that shift asking me to be? What role is it asking me to play? 5. What is one step that I can take today to begin moving toward that shift? In the first question, we're asking only about what is true for you or for your team right now. It's not true with a capital T. It's simply your perception. What is true for you right now? Notice in the second question that we're not asking which of those three things do you want to explore or work with. No, we're asking which one holds the power. In other words, which one seems to have the greatest control over the situation right now? Or which one would be the most helpful to address first? Notice in the last question that we are not asking how we can resolve the issue. We're just asking for one step that can move us toward the shift that wants to happen. All we're looking for is one small step that we can take today. The deep simple helps us break down the complexity into manageable pieces. It relieves stress and overwhelm, and it shows us our next step. Once you have taken that step, go back to question number one again. Now that you've taken that step, what are three things that you know to be true? And continue through the sequence again. Continue working in this simple approach and you will find your way forward. Comparison Approaches for Complicated and Complex Situations Complicated Approach An intellectual, rational, analytical, linear, clear, practical approach is best. Complex Approach An intuitive, creative, imaginative, Innovative, flexible, exploratory approach is needed. Whole mind thinking and whole being awareness. Complicated approach. Past knowledge and skills are important and valuable. Complex approach. Become comfortable in not knowing, living in a space of discovery. Complicated approach. Use your analyzing skills to fix the situation. Look for a linear cause and effect sequence and create the sequence going forward that is likely to resolve the issue. Complex approach. Dance with the big picture and with the details at the same time, and dance in the constant movement between them. Start with the deep simple and begin to find your way one step at a time. You're looking for patterns and flows of energy rather than linear cause and effect. Cause and effect will rarely be obvious, even in retrospect. You have to look beneath the surface. Complicated approach. Make a plan and implement it, and don't stop until it's done. Complex approach. There's a rhythm and flow to how things will want to unfold. It's important to be able to sense when to move ahead and when to pause or step back, or even take a different approach. Complicated Approach Because we are working in the realm of particle or fixed forms, follow the rules of the three-dimensional world and classical physics. Complex Approach You are working in the wave where things are constantly moving and shifting. Anything is possible. Understanding everything as energy in motion is critical. The rules of quantum physics and a four-dimensional world 
and beyond now apply. Complicated approach. It's all about planning and implementation. Complex approach. It's all about discovery and navigation. Complicated or complex? Consider some of the current situations and circumstances in your life and work. Notice which situations feel complicated, primarily linear and predictable. What do you already know about how to resolve these situations? Make a few notes about your next steps. Perhaps even start the outline of a plan or strategy to move forward. Then notice which situations feel primarily complex and unpredictable, confusing, and maybe even overwhelming. Choose one to focus on for the next few minutes. Then imagine that this complex situation is in the room with you. Take a moment to feel the energy of this situation. You don't have to do anything with it. Just let yourself be present with it. Then, instead of trying to figure it out or make a plan to fix it, step into receptive mode. Listen, observe, and sense what wants to happen next. Use the deep simple to help you find your next step. Remember that you're not trying to solve the whole puzzle or get a quick result. Complex situations don't work that way. You're just looking for your next step. You might even take a break and go for a walk. Invite your complex situation to walk with you. Listen to it. Sense it. Let it talk to you. Use the structure of the deep simple to support your discovery process. Give yourself permission to not know the answers and instead let the answers show themselves to you. Trust that something wants to happen and that it can lead you forward. Complexicated. In reality, many circumstances and situations have both complicated and complex elements. There's even a new word emerging in the lexicon to describe these kinds of situations. Complexicated. Navigating today's world, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, this actually requires being able to distinguish which elements are complicated and which are complex. Recognize the appropriate approach and then be able to shift from one approach to the other quickly and easily as you move between the different elements of your situation. Becoming a master at navigating complexity means staying in discovery rather than trying to figure out what to do next. The more agile you become in whole mind thinking and hold being awareness, the more smoothly you will find your way through complex situations and circumstances. It just takes awareness and practice. To summarize, complicated and complex situations ask for two different kinds of approaches. When the situation is complicated, it is helpful to be rational, analytical, linear, clear, and practical as you address what is going on. Tap into your past knowledge and skills. Look for linear cause and effect sequences or patterns to understand how the situation evolved to where it is now. And then make a step-by-step -step plan for moving into action. When the situation is complex, a rational, analytical, and linear approach will not serve you. In fact, it will often make things even worse. Tap into your whole mind thinking and whole being awareness skills, your intuitive, creative, imaginative, innovative, flexible, and explorer side. Get comfortable with not knowing the answers and maybe not even knowing the questions. Be curious and open to discovery. Remember that you are looking for patterns and flows of energy rather than linear patterns of cause and effect. Look, sense, and feel beneath the surface. Dancing with the big picture and the details. The world is likely to keep moving and changing quickly, so learning to dance with the big picture and the details at the same time is critical. There is a constant movement between them. 
allow yourself to flow with that movement rather than push against it or try to hold it still. A rhythm and flow to how things want to unfold will start to be revealed. As you dance with that flow, you will sense when to move ahead and when to pause, step back, or even shift to a different approach. What wants to happen will guide you if you pay attention. Create a Financial Scrapbook for Your Loved Ones Written by Wayne B. Titus III 2020 may be behind us, but unfortunately, the U.S. COVID-19 outbreak continues to set records with devastating results. While those with milder cases may recover at home within a few days, experts say those who must be hospitalized experience an average stay of about two weeks, with some needing extra recovery time in a long-term care facility. The virus is also now the leading cause of death in the U.S., and the loss can leave family members scrambling to understand their loved one's last wishes, locate important documents, and settle their affairs. Whether it's COVID-19 or a car accident, we all run the risk of having to rely on someone else to manage our households or access our important estate documents. This year, resolve to be prepared by creating a financial scrapbook for your loved ones. What is a financial scrapbook? A financial scrapbook is a how-to guide and information source that enables a family member or friend to assist you in an emergency or at the end of your life. A financial scrapbook is not a will or an estate document, although it could include that information. Rather, it's a resource that can be used to operate your household, manage children and pets, pause or close accounts, and notify friends and extended family members about your situation. Your scrapbook could include not only important documents and account numbers, but also your personal directions. Some suggestions include what bills must be paid each month, such as mortgage and homeowner association payments, utilities, cable, telephone, and internet, credit cards, etc., with account numbers and company contact information. Ongoing ancillary household services with phone numbers and contact names for grocery delivery, house cleaning, pest control, yard care, etc. Information about your children's needs, including a list and contact information for schools, extracurricular activities, pediatricians and medical specialists, and an outline of their daily routines. Pet care directions and veterinary information. A copy of your financial plan with a list of savings and investment accounts, along with statements for each account. Important documents such as birth certificates, marriage licenses, divorce decrees, car titles, property deeds, wills, passports, medical directives, burial plots, etc. Insurance documents with account information, auto, life, health, umbrella, etc. Tax returns for the past three to five years. Login information for all online accounts, including social media. Instructions on whom to contact and how in the event of your death. This should include family members, friends, attorneys, insurance agents, funeral homes, government agencies like the Social Security Administration even your holiday card list. As you create your financial scrapbook, make notes as to how often its contents need to be updated and schedule time on your calendar for regular reviews of your information. You don't want to go to the trouble of getting organized only to have the information be dated when you need it. Make it personal. How you organize your financial scrapbook is entirely up to you. 
whether it's by topic, such as home, auto, children, and pets, or according to those aspects of your life and household that need attention on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. If you have designated a specific friend or family member to access your financial scrapbook, you can also personalize it with pictures or a legacy letter in the event of your death. You could even invite your friend or family member to join you in creating your scrapbook or work with an elderly parent to create theirs. In the process, you may learn more about your family history. Protect your information. Once you've determined what to include in your financial scrapbook, you'll also need to decide how to protect it. If you choose to create a physical notebook or place your financial scrapbook on a flash drive, for example, consider how best to protect it from fire or water damage, theft, or unwanted access. One option is to install a locking, fire-resistant safe that can be bolted to the floor in a hidden area of your home. While not foolproof, having a safe enables you to access what you need quickly. You may be tempted to store your financial scrapbook in a safe deposit box at your bank. However, finding one that offers this service may be difficult since safe deposit boxes aren't as popular as they used to be. Other drawbacks include having to pay storage fees and a potential lack of accessibility. Since the pandemic started, some banks have closed branches temporarily, leaving customers without a way to retrieve their important items. For those comfortable with technology, an online storage vault may be a preferred option. Dropbox, Google Drive, and Microsoft OneDrive are among the many technology companies that offer secure storage. These services enable you or a loved one with a digital key, such as a PIN or trusted contact status, to access your files anytime. As an added layer of security, you can password protect or encrypt your files to keep hackers from accessing your information. Be prepared. When COVID-19 started to spread in the U.S., some Americans decided to become preppers, accumulating food, toilet paper, and other supplies as a hedge against lockdowns and store closures. Unfortunately, Fewer people use the situation to imagine being quarantined in a healthcare facility unable to communicate directly with loved ones. Creating a financial scrapbook and briefing key family members or friends on its contents now can bring you peace of mind in any situation. This article was written by Wayne B. Titus III. Wayne is the author of the book, the Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being. We hope you have enjoyed this week's newsletter and its featured articles. For over 30 years, we at Inner Self have shared new attitudes and new possibilities with our readers all over the world. For more inspiration, visit us at InnerSelf.com. Thank you. Thank you.